0: Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk.
1: On today's show, RC360 had the chance to attend the Winnipeg Adult Education Center's Healthy Living Conference. We'll speak with the organizer, Darcy Keen, keynote speaker, Ashley Richard, and get some self-defense tips from session instructor donald mckenzie
0: then we're going to tell you about hands of hope which is an organization that's been around for nearly two decades that delivers furniture and other necessities to
1: people in need we will speak with their founder charles norris we'll also hear from noah Ehrenberg of community news commons he's back from his trip down south to the night media conference and he'll tell us all about that as well as what's happening this week on cnc
0: we've got all this some great tunes and much much more on today's episode of a river City
1: 360.
0: Good morning, and welcome to River City 360. Robert, how are you this fine March? I March
1: know. March morning. This year is going by so quickly already. We're already at March. I'm doing very well. How are That's you good doing to hear. this I'm, I'm quite well as well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's
0: kind of weird how time starts to just go exponentially faster as we as we get up there in years.
1: Part of it is that twenty-eight day month, right? I guess so. Yeah. At the same time, I do feel like it's it's gone by much quicker than I would have originally anticipated. Well, I mean,
0: I only realized that it was 2017 like last week, so I'm still on the 2016 (laughs) calendar. Still
1: been signing everything 2016. I'm a
0: little slower than the average bear. That's okay though. Um, Today we're gonna we're gonna kick March off in the proper way. We're gonna talk about. Uh, learning a little bit, we attended a learning conference last week. We're going to talk about helping. We're going to talk about hoping. Um, we've got Hands of Hopes founder Charles Norris on the way into the studio. When I when he when I was emailing back and forth setting up an interview, and he said his name was Charles Norris, I, and I was like, isn't Chuck short for Charles? And I thought, <laughs> I'm going to be interviewing Chuck Norris, so I can check that off the old t- off the old uh, bucket list. I I got to interview Ch- Charles Chuck Norris, so I'm pretty proud of that one. Before Mr. Norris wait, makes his way into the studio, uh, we've got our coverage of the Winnipeg Education Center's Healthy Living Conference. Uh, Robert, you and I attended last week, and it was uh, a pretty cool experience, wouldn't you say?
1: I would say so. It's uh, So if you're not familiar with the Healthy Living Conference, it's the third year that it was held, and it's a place where adult learners can gain insights on a variety of topics that are under the healthy living umbrella and they also can learn about opportunities on how they can further their education beyond uh, the high school education so we'll hear from the conference's organizer darcy keen as well as the keynote speaker ashley richard and i also had the chance to speak with one of the session instructors donald mckenzie
0: what was the session about that you attended robert
1: it was about self-defense wasn't it
0: karate or something to it or was karate 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 That's awesome. I can't wait to hear that. So, uh, before we get to all the wonderful show that we have today, we're going to kick things off as we often do with a wonderful song for your listening pleasure. So, here's Tommy Dorsey with Well, Get It on River City 360. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. And as we mentioned before the break, Nolan and I attended the Winnipeg Adult Education Center's Healthy Living Conference. To learn more about the conference, we spoke with teacher librarian and conference organiser, Darcy Keene.
2: My name is Darcy Keene, and I am the teacher librarian at the Winnipeg Adult Education Centre.
1: First of all, tell us about what the Healthy Living Conference is and how it started and how many years it's been in operation.
2: Well, I've been at the school, this will be my fourth year. When I came in to the school, they did have a day for students, which was called the Family Literacy Day, and that was a very passionate project of the previous teacher librarian. And so I kind of turned it into something I'm very interested in, uh, sustainability and well-being, and so I decided that perhaps a Healthy Living Conference would be a a different uh, change. So that would be my first year in 2013. So the Healthy Living Conference 2014 took place in February of 2013, 2014 at the University of Winnipeg. We had a closed venue, as uh, you may know, we're just a couple of blocks from U of W. So we decided to have the students come there and uh, that was a really successful day. So everybody said, gee, we should do this again. And so the following year, uh, we approached Red River as another post-secondary institution that our graduating students frequent as we have adult students graduating. So we thought it might be nice to get them inside these walls. And so we did that. And then uh, the year after that, we had a 75th anniversary at our school, so we decided to take a year off. And then we did it again this year, and we're very lucky to get sponsorship from uh, from Red River to help us waylay some of the costs. So that's why we're here again, and it's such a wonderful venue. We thought, why not do it here again?
1: I guess the idea is to provide ideas for adult learners in a variety of different topics, but also for them to see what options are available in terms of their road ahead and what they want to pursue.
2: Absolutely. And adult high school learners are much different than your typical 16 to 18-year-old. Many of our students are heads of families. They have children. They have jobs. And when they come into our building, it's simply to come and get that physics course done. And we don't have, we're not typical. We don't have an open area in our school. And so we don't often see our students outside of any school hours. So that's why we thought it was important to have a a day where it's a day of community. The teachers are interacting with the students and uh, we've got them all. Here in one place. What we did differently this year was we surveyed the students in the fall and said, What do you want to see? What would help you further? Uh, your life and make your well-being better because you have that information and so that's why we got different uh, sessions this year like self-defense like uh, financial literacy we have a couple that we had done previously like nutrition everybody finds that's a very important uh, thing to know more about so uh, it was a lot more student involvement this year and I have to say the numbers have been a lot better this year compared to previous years so we're, we're really really happy that we have such a great turnout today.
1: So how many students would you estimate uh, are here at today's conference?
2: Um, I would say we've probably got uh, close to 200 so we had uh, you know more than that register online but life gets in the way you know somebody might have woken up to a sick child this morning or uh, who knows, uh, all kinds of things that prevent them from coming but we're just happy, everybody through this door is one more that we're going to be able to provide this wonderful experience of a conference we've got everything like a, a conference would be from the name tags to the swag bags to everything making them feel like they're special, we're happy that they're here and we're here with them as a community.
1: You sort of alluded to this by mentioning student involvement in some of the surveying but how did you decide upon which specific sessions to have speakers for or even Ashley Richard the keynote speaker as well?
2: Uh, Well we like to look at our very diverse population here at school. The first year we had a consultant from the division be our keynote speaker and she talked a lot about uh, nutrition and that was well received and then the second year we thought well we do have a large population of new Canadians so we had a speaker come that had been through the refugee experience and was here and then we thought well we do have a large sector of our students that are Aboriginal and we thought well let's let's do that kind of like a rotation basis and, and with Ashley it was very timely because we did have her speak at a professional development session earlier in the year to staff only and we said oh if we could only get her uh, that would work out and fortunately scheduling worked out and we were able to have Ashley. In terms of the student sessions I mentioned the survey, so we just pretty much threw a few ideas out there and said, what else might you like to see? It was very scientific because we're all about data. And so we, uh, we got our very uh, most popular responses, and that's how we determined the first eight sessions. There was a few that went to the wayside just because the interest didn't seem to be there. But it is difficult sometimes, as I say, with our busy folks trying to get their input because it's all about them. We're not, I'm not doing this for me. I want the students to profit by it.
1: Is the event only open to students at the Adult Education Centre? Or is it open to students who might be in adult programs in other divisions?
2: The conference today is only open to students of the Winnipeg Adult Education Centre. However, some people might not be aware of the fact that we have several off-sites that are under our umbrella. So we have a school at Kakiau, uh on King Street, River Osborne has uh, one of our sites as well as uh, Taking Charge, TURF, uh, another uh, one of our off programs. So while it's mostly as BISTER students, we do have uh, ones from the off sites as well.
1: Is there anything that you'd
2: like to add? Yeah, I can't do it on my own and I've got lots of help from the, the staff Uh, everybody is involved in it, especially Kim Cannon, who's my co-chair for the sustainability committee that we do have at the school. So I don't know if there's anything that Kim would like to add about the day.
3: Uh, Just that we've received a lot of support from, I don't know if you mentioned the grants that we got, and from the Winnipeg School Division itself. We couldn't do this without the support of our division, and the trustees have been supportive in the last few years. So that's gone a long way to making this conference a success.
2: Absolutely, and the Winnipeg Foundation was involved in the two previous uh, conferences, and then, as uh, Kim said, we've got the sponsorship of Red River and, and many other partners, so that's been very positive.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me, Darcy. Congratulations on the event.
2: Thank you very much.
0: We also spoke with Ashley Richard. She was the keynote speaker at the conference. Uh, She has a quite incredible story. She's a survivor of sexual assault. She is a survivor of a very horrific car accident. She's got a pretty crazy story. And uh, she basically uh, just spoke at length before the conference kicked off and told her story and told about uh, just the ability to find hope and strength, uh, even though you can go through a lot of difficult uh, things. So uh, here's my conversation with Ashley thank you for listening to river city 360 nolan bicknell here on location at red river college and we are speaking with ashley richard she is the co-founder of red rising magazine and the keynote speaker at today's 2017 healthy living conference ashley thank you for talking to us
4: i'm honored to be here so um
0: maybe before we get started just give give us a quick rundown of your story you told a very sort of harrowing tale of of a whole bunch of Uh, craziness that kind of happened to you throughout your life but uh, maybe just give us the quick rundown of who you are and and how you came to be who you are.
4: So I'm originally from Toronto, I grew up there and then growing up in Toronto I faced a lot of challenges in my younger years. I was homeless, I was sexually assaulted and I got into a really bad car accident and through all that I thought uh, my grandmother who was my number one supporter in life, I thought she would want me to live a better life than currently what I was doing. So that was what inspired me to leave Toronto and move to Winnipeg.
0: And your grandmother was kind of woven through the story throughout the entire time. You can tell she was very important to you, obviously. How did she inspire you to, to become this strong woman and tell your story and try and help so many people probably throughout, uh, throughout your time?
4: My grandmother herself was a very powerful woman. If you ever drive past the corner of Higgins and Maine and you see the Thunderbird house, that was like her last project. When she founded the Thunderbird house, that was her joy. She wanted to bring that spirit back to the corner of Higgins in Maine. and Maine. But not only was she a powerful woman, she just showed me unconditional love, and she's the only person who's ever done that.
0: So how do you feel when you have people sort of approaching you and telling you, thank you for sharing your story? How does that make you feel?
4: it makes me feel like I'm sharing my story for the right reasons because that was why I wanted to start um, sharing my story. I know that the topic of sexual assault can be uncomfortable for some so I try to be respectful of that but also I'd love for other women to empower each other and share their story.
0: Now that you're telling your story and um, you co-founded Red Rising magazine, how how do you find that starting that project and and meeting other people throughout that experience has has helped you deal with your with your um, with your history
4: just meeting other people especially the other members on the collective and hearing their stories and where they've come from we all we all bounce off one another you know and just being part of a group where we all love and support one another I think is one of the best things
0: Absolutely. So what's next for Red Rising Magazine? You said that you have uh, published the fifth one. You're potentially working on sixth. What what does the future hold?
4: So the sixth issue, the goal is to launch it in Toronto. We actually launched our fourth issue in Vancouver because we really want to, you know, get across Canada, get the Red Rising movement going across Canada, not just Winnipeg. So we want to figure out a way, how can we relate the Red Rising Indigenous message to Canada's 150th, which is coming out. Like, what does that mean for Indigenous people?
0: And so where can people find more information about Red Rising and about you?
4: Uh, Redrisingmagazine.ca and feel free to follow me on Facebook, I guess.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck in the future.
4: Thanks.
1: Thanks, Nolan, and thank you to Ashley Richard for speaking with us. So at the Healthy Living Conference, after the keynote speech, students had the opportunity to learn about a variety of topics at different breakout sessions, and we had the chance to speak with one of the session's instructors, Donald McKenzie, about the topic of self-defense. Here's our conversation.
5: Hi, my name is Donald McKenzie. I'm here representing my dojo, uh, Midwest Earl Grey traditional karate, Shotokan karate. I'm here to do a self-defense demonstration. Usually a self-defense demonstration would take a weekend or a couple of weeks, but we have two one-hour classes today, so most of our uh, demonstration is going to be about awareness, avoidance, etc., and then maybe show some uh, very quick, easy moves. The whole intent is uh, the best form of self-defense is not to be there. And to get away.
1: What's an important takeaway that people should be aware of if they're ever feeling like they're in a situation where their intuition is telling them that maybe this isn't a good situation to be in or they feel like they're in any immediate danger?
5: Well, the best thing is to leave, no matter what, is to get away. That's uh, whether it's close to someone or far away from someone. You know, our intuitions are there, they tell us that. And again, it's just to be aware. Part of it will be about uh, be aware of your surroundings. I'm a big believer in people who walk down paths and everything else who have earphones in. That should be a no-no, because you're really not aware of what's behind you or in front of you or whatever. And like I always say, even when I teach my classes, I teach a lot of people, and if you ask in my class, what's the best form of self-defense, and they'll answer, not be there. And that means a lot. Not being there means close to someone, not being in the room. If you're familiar with an area, why go there? If that's where there's trouble, why go there, where there's trouble? Your goal in se- this type of self-defense is to get away is whether it's you know there are no rules in self-defense, biting, pinching, anything. It's, uh, but you have to get away because all you've done is made your attacker matter. So you need to react and get away.
1: If people find themselves in a situation where they can't get away, what would be the first thing you would suggest that they do?
5: Anything that comes to mind is to hurt the other person. Our body does not like pain. The reaction is to pull, it's like reaching, touching something hot, you pull away. So you want that to be uh, your defense, is to do something very quick and like I say there are no rules. Eyeballs are eyeballs, biting is biting. Uh, you can injure somebody quite well, in everyday items like magazines, coins, which things we'll bring up today, whistles, there's all kinds of things you can use to defend yourself. And like I say, don't even if you get the upper hand, you do not stay there to keep attacking your attacker, you get out of there. So
1: as you mentioned, it's impossible to cover absolutely everything in a one-hour session, but if people are interested in learning more about self-defense and maybe learning some of the martial arts or just kind of getting a better understanding of what they should do if they ever feel like they're in an unsafe situation, where can they go to learn more and what are some of the resources that are out there for people?
5: Well, there's lots of different types of martial arts. OK, like I say, we're traditional karate. There's other traditional karate's that are very similar. There's mixed martial arts. There's taekwondo, there's judo, there's wrestling, boxing. There's all types of things are out there. But you need to do some research and get the right place and to go on a regular basis. I've been doing this for 45 years, and I still train. I still do the various things at the very beginning, which basics, etc. And I have to continue to train to keep my level up and to get better.
1: It's sort of like a lifelong process. It's no different than exercising. or
5: Yes, you, you always have to keep it up. So,
1: What would you say are some of the differences between karate and some of the other martial arts? Is there something that might make karate more appealing to people than other martial arts? Uh,
5: yeah, like I always, when people come to my dojo or want to know, I just tell them to come and watch and participate and go look around. Because not... All of them are, the, are for that person. You're going to find the one that is right for you. The Shotokan Karate we call is a hard karate, meaning not harder to do, but it's hard. It's solid learning how to use your body at the right moment of body impact. Some of them are soft martial arts, like, you know, you Tai cheese, smooth movements, everything else. Okay, and there's soft karates, again, that takes someone's power and uses it against them there's number of things some of them use a lot more legs than hands some use more hands, some use grappling so it's all what you want want to do and depends on your body and your body shape and if you have injuries or not or if you're willing to accept injuries <laughs> there's many different things and how far you want to take it it's really a complicated decision Okay, but I believe in karate, I've tried different things in my life and karate was the one I love, it's a passion for me and so I just stuck to that and I wanna to continue to get better at it. So that's my love. So, and I think that's what people see once they go around and test some things out, they're gonna find the one they like.
0: Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Hands of Hope, which is a wonderful charity founded uh, just over 17 years ago. Um, basically helps those in need uh, by supplying them furniture and any other household items that you wouldn't necessarily think um, that people might need. Uh, Hans of Hands of Hope's founder, Charles Norris, is going to join us in studio and tell us about why he started Hands of Hope, his motivation for that, and why and why uh, he does what he does. But first, um, here's the platters with all the things you are, right here on River City 360.
6: Trimbles on the brink of a lovely song You are the
0: to river city 360 nolan bicknell here with you this morning and we're now joined in studio by charles norris he's the founder of hands of hope thank you for joining us charles you're welcome glad to be here it's good to talk to you so hands of hope is a very interesting charitable organization um, where you guys kind of specialize in delivering furniture and and sheets and bed bedding and pots and pans and everything but the kitchen sink maybe including some kitchen sinks in your time sometimes loading. but <laughs> right yeah so I'm just wondering maybe tell it for our listeners who haven't heard of hands of hope to give us give us the elevator pitch on what hands of hope does and who you guys are okay well,
7: was about 17 years ago when we saw the need for furniture to be delivered to families in in need in Winnipeg and we just started, my wife and I just started taking stuff out of our house and delivering it to people that needed it, that we knew about and as our church saw what we were doing they supported us uh, financially and we were able to do more and we were just doing it on a volunteer basis but gradually we Word spread, yeah. and uh, we kept taking more and more furniture to people, till we were. Well, we're now we're doing. Uh, last year, I see we did uh, help 2,739 people with 989 deliveries. Wow! So it's, it's increased over the years, and there are very many people, especially now with the refugees arriving, right. that are in need of furniture. And instead of throwing good usable furniture into the landfill, as was the custom,
0: we are able to save that furniture and deliver it to people that need it. Another man's treasure, as the old saying goes, right? Right. One man's trash. So you help, you mentioned newcomers, you mentioned refugees, you also help the elderly, people with mental health issues, Mm -hmm. women in in abusive issues. That's right. Aboriginal and indigenous populations. how how what are some of the challenges of 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 helping such wide array of groups well
7: we almost need to go and visit people first and mm-hmm. we often do to see exactly what they need because they're, they're they may have just asked for a bed but they actually have nothing in their house right so we, when we go there we see what they need and can uh, assemble the furniture that's required for that specific place. And then the challenge is, to, is with the mental patients and with people with disabilities, we need to take the furniture into the house, carry it upstairs, sometimes four flights of stairs, assemble the furniture, put the beds together, the tables and chairs, and we'll assemble the tables, screw the legs on, right. whatever, and put everything together for them because they're not able to do it themselves.
0: Right, so it's kind of an all-encompassing personal service that you got yes. going a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So why is it, like, people don't often think of furniture and cookware as something that people in need require, but why do you think that's overlooked so often?
7: Well, I guess because people, most people have all those things, and they they just don't think that there could be neighbors who don't have anything. Right. They, they know that if they were even lost their house or something they would soon be able to find enough uh, wherewithal to to get those things for themselves but if you're a mental patient or, or uh, if you're uh, disabled in a wheelchair how are you going to put things together like that like furniture you may end up sleeping on the floor Absolutely.
0: and that's what happens right so y- you seem like a very generous individual where did this idea come from did you just kind of came up out of a necessity or where no where did it didn't this come, come
7: from, from nowhere. Uh, we thought this was a way of telling people that God loves them. Really, we we thought this was a way of preaching the gospel in a way mm-hmm. of saying that uh, Jesus loves everybody. Love thy neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself is what he's taught. Right. And uh, we thought this is a way of doing it that wasn't being done very well, in the city. Mm-hmm. So we jumped right into it. Yeah. And I think
0: yeah. a lot of people probably take it for take it for granted having you know cookware and, and plates and and a bed to sleep in. And, and a lot of people don't necessarily have that.
7: That's right. There there are many people who don't have anything. We we have to. There's a lady right now who just phoned us today, and she's sleeping on the floor, and uh, elderly. Where I don't know. I'm going to try to get to bed to her today. Oh, well, good for you. Yeah.
0: That's great. So, I noticed on your website, I was digging around today, that you have a big garage sale coming up at the end of the month. Why don't you tell our listeners about that?
7: Okay. We pick up all, sometimes we pick up a whole estate. Uh, somebody maybe passed away and they left all their things. So, we have all kinds of knickknacks, pictures, um, vases, uh, and all sorts of uh, tools and everything you can imagine. That we put up for a grad sale because they're not essential items that people need for their house. Right. But they are things that people want to buy Mm -hmm. at grad sales. So we have one once a month, usually the last Saturday of the month. So that's what's coming up in the end of March. Very
0: cool. So that's taking place I believe March twenty fifth. That's the Saturday? Yeah. And where is that taking place? That'll be
7: at four twenty nine Duffren is uh, where the sale will be.
0: Fantastic. So for, for people listening out there, where can they find out more information about uh, maybe supporting Hands of Hope in the future?
7: Yes, they can find information on our website, uh, handsofhope.ca. It'll give you all, all the information you need to donate there. You can donate online. We do n- to welcome donations because it does cost us to store s- things in our warehouse and, and to transport it. For sure, to, to the people in need.
0: Well, you sound very busy, and and I guess on behalf of Winnipegers, thank you for doing this wonderful work. It's it's a it's a very positive thing in Winnipeg, and you're probably putting a lot of smiles on a lot of faces. So thank oh, you very we much. Are, indeed, and we're glad to do it. Thank you very much. Uh, Charles Norris is the founder of Hands of Hope. Uh, thank you for talking to us today. Hey, okay, you. you're welcome.
1: Thanks, Nolan. And as Charles mentioned, you can visit handsofhope.ca to find out more, as well as check out the dates and locations for their monthly yard sales. The next one is coming up Saturday, March 25th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. That's at 429 Dufferin Avenue, uh, west of the corner of Salter and Dufferin. Again, that's Saturday, March 25th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at 429 Dufferin Avenue. And you can again visit handsofhope.ca to learn more.
0: Coming up after the break, our final installment in our series of refugee stories from an event hosted by the Mennonite Heritage Center Gallery, in which people from various backgrounds shared their brief snapshots of their experiences as refugees. But first, here's Sue Thompson with Two of a Kind, right here on River City 360.
8: They say we're so for love we'll never find they say we're foolish kids we're two of a kind What?
1: Welcome back to River City 360, Robert and Nolan here with you this morning, and this week we have the final installment of stories in our Refugee Story series, which was hosted by the Mennonite Heritage Center Gallery. This week, Reem Yunus shares her story. She fled Latakia, Syria in June 2014 because of the civil war in Syria, and because the man she loved was forced to flee to Lebanon. They reunited in Lebanon and lived there for a year, waiting to get the green light to come to Canada from the Canadian government. They arrived in Canada on March 18th, 2015. The man she loved became her husband, and they now have a daughter together. So here is Reem's story.
9: My name is Reem Yonest. I fled from Syria because of the civil war, and every day people die or kidnapping and explosion also, so no safe, no future, just you hope to stay alive. And also because the man I loved, now my husband was forced to flee to Lebanon. So we had to stay in Lebanon for one difficult year, waiting for approval from Canadian government. And that happened on March 17, 2015. So it was our first flight. We were worried and happy at the same time looking forward to our new future in Canada and hoping when our dream will become true. It was 4 a.m. and I was looking through the aircraft window, staring at the city lights, thinking of my family and praying for their safety and hoping one day the war will end. We were above the Mediterranean Sea and after 10 minutes, flying for sure, we heard the sound of two brutal explosion coming from the engines, and the aircraft started shaking and vibrating, and also smiled inside. We saw the flames, and we were so scared. Meanwhile, the pilot announced that an emergency landing would follow. He turned around and made the emergency landing without a lift engine to the Peru International Airport. Again. It was an amazing moment when the aircraft landed to safety. We really felt that we were born again. And then we had to stay at the airport for 24 hours, waiting to book another flight, the following day, March 18th. At that time, the people in Douglas Mennonite Church, who sponsored us, they prayed for us to be safe. And when we arrived, Many people were waiting for us at the Winnipeg airport. I didn't expect all that love and kindness. They prepared everything for us, for our apartment, and they helped us a lot to settle down and integrate in this new country and life. And also because we couldn't celebrate in our wedding in Lebanon, they got everything ready to celebrate with us and did a big party. I still remember how much they were so happy for us. I will not forget what they did and what they are still doing for us. They are very kind people and they showed their love. Now they are my new family here in Canada. So just I want to thank God and thanks MCC to give us this chance to live in this safe country. And I still every day pray for my family and for people in Syria to keep them safe. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much to Reem for sharing your story with us, and a special thank you to Ray Dirks and the Mennonite Heritage Center Gallery. And now, the next part in our series about Winnipeggers who, through foresight,
0: planning, and generosity, created a lasting legacy that helped make their community a better place. Here's my co-host, Robert Zirk.
1: Bob and Betty Brooke lived by their values. Honesty, integrity, acceptance, and education. Born in Winnipeg in 1914, Robert Bob Brook experienced some difficulties growing up, but a friend's father, who was a canon in the Anglican Church, changed his trajectory. Alice Elizabeth Betty Mensforth, the youngest of seven children, was born in Winnipeg in 1918. Bob and Betty married in 1941 and spent 70 years together. The couple had three children, Warren, Ralph, and Glenda. They raised their family on Spruce Street in the West End and regularly took family camping trips. They worked hard to instill strong values in their children. Mr. Brooke was a salesman for Westinghouse. When Glenda started school, Mrs. Brooke went back to work at Eaton's, primarily so the couple could travel the world. Mr. Brooke passed away in 2011 and Mrs. Brooke passed away in 2015. Bob and Betty Brooke had foresight. They gave to their community through a field of interest fund at the Winnipeg Foundation. The Brooke Family Fund supports projects geared toward youth and education, and the Brooks further supported it through bequests in their wills. Since gifts to the foundation are endowed, they continue to support our community for good forever. Over time, the grants it generates will surpass the value of the original gift, multiplying the positive impact in our community. When you give to the Winnipeg Foundation, you're joining Mr. and Mrs. Brooke and thousands of others with the foresight to support our community for good forever.
0: Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg makes his long-anticipated return to RC 360. But before he gets on the microphone, we're going to listen to the crew cuts with Oop Shoop, right here on River City
10: 360. <laughs> <laughs> ¶ Come on, baby, and treat me right tonight ¶ Come on, baby, take me out tonight ¶ You know, baby, I need your love tonight ¶¶ Come on, baby, now please don't break my heart ¶ Oh, baby, I've loved you from the start ¶ Come on, baby, I need your love tonight ¶¶ Well, I don't deny I fell in love with you, baby ¶ From the start But if you ever decide To leave You will break my heart Come on baby What makes you so sweet Oh baby You make my life complete Come on baby I need your love tonight (coughs) Baby, baby, baby You will be my Shoop, doop, baby (laughs) (laughs) Oh baby, you make my life complete. Come on baby, I need your love tonight. Shoot, bit of, bit bit of, bit bit of, bit of, bit of, up of, bit of, bit of,
0: Welcome back to River City 360, Nolan Robert here with you today and we're now joined in studio as we are almost every week but not for the past couple weeks because he's been in the US of A, Noah Ehrenberg, the convener of Community News Commons. Noah, welcome home.
11: Hey, thank you very much. How, Great to be here. How was your trip? How it was, was awesome.
0: the land of uh, Trumpistan this well, year?
11: I, I think it was, uh, it was successful. I was at the night media learning seminar. Uh, which is held every year in Miami, and so that was uh, that was very informative. Learning y- how to how to
0: purvey y- fake news. And- well, <laughs> there
11: was a lot of emphasis. I mean, you know, you look at what's going on down there with regards to the media. The the president of the United States calling some members of the media the enemy of the people. Right. Um, Dangerous. it's, it, it's quite Dangerous. A, an intense environment, and uh, to be at a, a media uh, conference in America uh, was very interesting because that's what they're you know they're focused on. How do we, you know. Uh, do journalism in this uh, day and age when there are, you know, when rational thought is kind of uh, <laughs> is kind of under attack? We in, don't need uh, to get t- too
0: deep into it, but what was the general tone well, for, for American journalists? Well, I
11: think the idea is to uh, stick to the basics, stick to the journalism 101, stick to expertise, evidence. Uh, You know, that was, um, you know, do your job as a journalist and uh, things will uh, inevitably work out. The truth will will come out. Yeah. And then there was another interesting point, which I think our listeners uh, might uh, find fascinating, is the idea that one should um, force yourself as a journalist to speak to those who may disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Or who you disagree with? Yeah,
0: there's been a lot of divisiveness in in the American sort of political landscape. So, yeah. being open to the other side and the other argument is, I think, an important thing to remember in these times.
11: Yeah, and so I think that would do a, lo- a lot for um, you know uh, allowing American media to you know to do what it do- does best, which is you know tell great stories and uh, you know do some uh, quality reporting. But you know it's it's a it's a wild one yeah, right now no down kidding. there. So
0: well, I'm glad you made it back in one <laughs> yeah, piece too. and uh, welcome home. Back. It's good to have you back. So, Thank you. Speaking of interesting stories. There's a lot of really cool things being posted on on communitynewscommons.org Speaking of America, I know that the uh, healthcare debate is all up up in arms as it usually is, and repealing Obamacare and whatnot, but uh, that tends to lead Canadians to talk about our own healthcare system. And I understand there's a there's an article on CNC that covers that as well.
11: Yeah, there's a family physician named Danielle Martin who wrote an article uh, that appears on communitynewscommons.org, and um, it basically talks about how um, the debate over um, uh, healthcare in America kind of, you know, makes us Canadians feel lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, with a stroke of a pen, the president could simply uh, remove the health care of 20 million Americans. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's quite a scary situation. We'll see how that pans out. Um, but, you know, it wasn't that long ago that many Canadians faced that same challenge. You know, like how it, long ago? Well, it wasn't until 1966 that. Um, so one generation. Exactly. That it, That was the year that Parliament passed legislation that created Medicare.
0: Wow.
11: So before that time, we were in a situation similar to what the Americans are in.
0: Huh. Um, so there's people alive that remember.
11: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's people that suffered um, considerably because we didn't have Medicare in this country. Interesting. So our system, you know, but, but I think one of the things is that our system is more than— um, uh it's it's more than just money and medicine it's it's sort of um the, the what dr martin writes about uh on communitynewscommons.org is that it defines us as a society mm-hmm. uh, and that f- uh, we are there for one another um and we're there for the most vulnerable so um, right. You know the idea that good healthcare is a good idea because it leads to good outcomes. It leads to a stronger economy, more cohesive communities, um, you know, more fulfilling lives. So yeah. you know that's a it's a it's an excellent article. But she does get into the fact that you know we have some problems in our healthcare system. Uh, it has to be more sustainable. It has to be more accessible. Uh, and um, and you know she sort of. Uh, outlines some of the solutions that aren't magical, but, you know, simple things like making sure that every Canadian has access to a family doctor or, um, you know, working with teams of nurses and physiotherapists and pharmacists, uh, you know, as a way to deliver patient-centered care, Mm -hmm. uh, pooling more lists of specialists so you cut down on waiting lists, you know, basically reducing unnecessary tests and procedures, things like that can create a system, even something like pharmacare. You know, we have afford- if we have affordable drugs yeah. for people, it it would certainly help and go a long way. So she has sort of some very basic ideas as to how this can happen, and it's, it's a great uh, article. It's called "Simple Ideas to Dramatically Improve Healthcare," and that is by Danielle Martin on communitynewscommons.org.
0: That's a valuable. Valuable perspective to have, having a family well, yeah. family physician like that. I'm curious if our listeners out there have had experiences with the uh, Canadian healthcare system. Go on cncwpg.org. Uh, you can find Dr. Martin's article, and you can leave a comment about your experience and and, and start the conversation, because I think it's an interesting one to have, and we should never stop having it. Exactly. So what else is happening on CNC this week, Noah?
11: Oh, My uh, other favorite article this week is um, by Anne Ha, who um, I really appreciate how, how prolific Anne has been. Uh, in writing articles recently. And she uh, wrote a piece about the um, beloved Sherbrooke Pool, uh, which... The reopening. Um, the reopening. Uh, her article is called Back from the Brink. And uh, as we know, sh- uh, Sherbrooke Pool was closed uh, for more than four years. And uh, it finally reopened recently. And Anne was at the party, the pool party, <laughs> that um, that uh, was uh, thrown in, uh, in celebration of that um, reopening. And there's a lot of people in the West End who were really worried that this pool was not going to reopen. It was a long and difficult process, but there was a group called Friends of Sherbrooke Pool, which, um, you know, made a huge difference in raising mm-hmm. money. Uh, there were a lot of diverse community groups that were uh, involved, uh, some, you know, many concerned citizens and various levels of government. They, they all sort of pitched in and, um, you know, p- uh, put the, the $4 million together in order to renovate the pool. It's looking great. It's um, it's It's really, really popular, and it's really, uh, you know, uh, you get an idea of just how necessary it is for the community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of our listeners know that the best thing to do is uh, at this time in life is to uh, keep active. Yeah. Swimming um, is a heck of a workout. Well, there's, you know, and then there's Aquafit, right? I mean, there's all those different...
0: uh, I used to teach Aquafit at 6 in the morning (laughs) back when I was a lifeguard, believe it or not.
11: And it's a terrific way to keep fit. It
0: gets the heart pumping and the blood flowing.
11: But one thing that... uh, is very interesting that I want our listeners to know about is that Ann mentions something uh, that is being held by the Friends of the Sherbrooke Pool they're called Idea Jams and they're coming up in uh, this coming um, uh, month March the 16th March the 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. on both of those days at the West End Cultural Center Okay, uh, people are invited to come down community residents Dream big, imagine activities and programs uh, that the pool can have, and uh, they'd like to collaborate with the city on making those happen. So uh, that's March 16th, March 18th, Uh, on those two days between 1 and 3 p.m. at West End Cultural Center. Uh, you know, come on down, and um, and you know, share some of the ideas of uh, uh-huh. some of the programs that you would like offered at the pool. Because really, you know, a pool is just a pool, but the programs—it's uh, all about community and uh, getting yeah. the community
0: active you and go participating. Go down, go down, and have your say. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's all about communities coming together and uh, making making life better for each other. Because exactly. uh, that's what Winnipeg is all about. Oh, it is. So, at the end of our time together, Noah. I've asked you to bring us a song that maybe our listeners haven't heard before. T- typically, it's with a with a local sort of a twist. So mm-hmm. what have you brought for us this week?
11: Well, I don't think our listeners have heard this band, or at least have heard this song. Um, it's, a, it's a band uh, called Cassati. Okay. And they're set to launch their uh, new self-produced recording. It's all original tunes. Nice. Uh, the recording is called There Will Be Days. Uh, it was uh, recorded uh, at Unity Gain here in Winnipeg uh, with Don Benedictson. Uh, just last night, actually, over at uh, Creatory Art Gallery, uh, the uh, trio brought uh, its signature sound um, to, uh, to a party that was held at Creatory. Um, that's it, a cool venue. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's um, it, the, the ca- Cassetti is kind of like folk jazz pop, that's, uh, and they've got three part harmonies. They sound great. Nice. Uh, next month, they're going to hit the road for a tour of Western Canada. And they have uh, some Winnipeg dates, uh, March 24th at Prairie Inc. That's uh, over at McNally Robinson. Uh, April 7th at Times Changed. Oh, cool. And uh, they're here for CCFM for Marty Jazz on uh, April 11th. So there's three times that you could see this band, and I recommend that you see them. They're called Cassati. Uh, This is a new album. This is the title track from it. It's called There Will Be Days. And you're tuned to River City 360 with Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell on 93.7 CJNU. <laughs>
3: Keep your head down till tomorrow Some people say that nothing's gonna change It's too late to be saved, you're lost at sea Certain you will find that it's your state of mind It's not what you know, but what you believe There will be days when the sun shines through So keep your head down of tomorrow
0: That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for joining us in studio
1: and on location. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast. You can do all those things on our website visit us at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City
0: 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM.
1: And we love to hear your feedback about the program. If you have any comments about the stories that you heard today, if you'd like to request a song, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future show, if you know of a person or organization that's working to do some great things in our city, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 204-944-9474. Our listener line is open 24-7, so it doesn't matter if you're just listening live on Sunday morning or if you're listening to our podcast, give us a call anytime. Again, the number is 204-944-9474, extension 360.
0: If you're on Twitter or Facebook, you can find us there as well by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and River City 360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off
1: for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.